You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. Eddie, what are you doing? <laughs> just, uh, I just had a big old string come out of my boxers. <laughs> what? It's Wes. But I do think about Pop Tarts a lot. And Walker. Is it true? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I do, I do. Ooh. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. This is why we're the best news show. That's a promo. It's the sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest triumphs. And your biggest heartbreaks. Hunter Renfro. Little man makes another enormous play. It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. It would be YOG bring your own guts. And every Saturday, you tap that sign. The wait is over. College football is here. Welcome back, folks, to the Wes and Walker Show. This is Team Week, and it is time to talk about the Clemson Tigers. And as we do for every Team Week to start things off, we're going to get into the recent success of the Clemson Tigers and it's been a whole lot of it, led by head coach Dabo Sweeney in his 15th full season as head coach. He spent 21 seasons on the Clemson staff in total. In total, we know that it was one of the most improbable hires, runs, all of that stuff. Dabo, we've heard him talk about how he didn't even think he was going to get the job, even be considered, all of that good stuff. But what has he done? The first coach in program history to lead Clemson to multiple national championships. He's got an 80% win percentage. He enters the 2023 season as the winning active, the winningest active coach by percentage in the FBS among coaches with at least 10 seasons of head coaching experience. He enters 2023 as the seventh longest tenured head coach in the FBS. His 161 and 39 record through 200 career games puts him alongside College Football Hall of Famers Bob Stoops and Robert Nealon for the fifth most wins through 200 games in college football history. And in 2022, they went 11 and three, and they won another ACC championship. They became the first program in an active Power Five conference to win seven outright titles in an eight-year span since Alabama won eight out of nine SEC titles outright from 1971 through 1979. They extended their streak of consecutive 10-win seasons to 12, becoming only the third FBS program ever to record double-digit wins in a dozen consecutive seasons. And they're 6-4 all-time in the college football playoffs, second-most wins of any program since the format's inception. So lots and lots and lots of success under Dabo Dabo. Sweeney. Lots of success under Dabo (laughs) Sweeney. There's a lot. Uh, How about two championships in three years worth of time when you go back from 2016, 2017, going 12-2, and and then the next year going undefeated at 15-0? They went to the championship the year after that as well. They went to four championship games out of five seasons total, and they haven't been back to the championship game since the last one in 2019. Now, the fact that we're talking about that being a disappointment for Clemson football, 
even here we are in the early 2020s, the fact that we are not that far removed from Clemsoning being a bad, a bad verb. Mm-hmm. If you were Clemsoning, that means you were choking down the stretch and you weren't winning many football games. Dabo takes over in 2008, goes four and three in seven games, nine and five, six and seven, and then goes to at least a bowl game every single year. And how about in 2011, Wes? That's when they started their double-digit win seasons. Ten and four, and they're not looking back after that run. This is what's crazy about Clemson. We look back at last year and think, man, that's a little bit of a disappointing season. 11 and 3, 10 and 3, three losses, and you had become accustomed to them flirting with an undefeated season, but most likely dropping one, maybe two. But the fact that you dropped three games last year and you still win the ACC championship and your quarterback wasn't amazing and certainly did not live up to a lot of the expectations he had after what was a prolific passing performance against Notre Dame, going for 400 yards a couple of times. You did not get that DJ Uyunglele, nope. but then Cade Klubnik comes in and has a great game against the ACC champion representative in North Carolina, but now it's still a little bit of a question mark there. Even with the question mark at quarterback, this is why you have to put your faith in Clemson, because despite that happening last year, the disappointment, they still win the championship. They still win the conference championship. Now you get an offensive coordinator who is really highly regarded where he got to the championship game last year. Garrett Riley was coaching in that thing, and now he's coaching with Clemson. You have a defense that I'm really high on this year. I don't know how you aren't. They have a great linebacking duo coming back. They were actually 17th in points against last season in the entire country, and you have a lot of returning starters. Yes, even if you lose four guys going to the NFL, Mm -hmm. the starters that are coming back are really good. They're just reloading and reloading like they've become accustomed to. Will Shipley, your boy, you called him the best running back, the best skill player in the ACC outside of QB. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe you have some debate with Trey Benson this year, but it's not like it's a hot debate. Will Shipley very well could turn out the best season. You got to be high on Clemson. It's why they absolutely are going to be in the mix to get back to the championship game this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think the impressive thing about it is just how Dabo's done it. I say it to people all the time. Coming up as a kid, when I would watch Clemson football, they always seemed like a team that every four years when they had a really uh, seasoned veteran team that they would win 10 games, perhaps go to a bowl game that was New Year's Day or later. And that was the best you were going to get. I never thought that this program would have reached the heights that it has under Dabo Sweeney as far as just competing for a national championship. Like, they've approached elite SEC team-like expectations. When I talk about, like, the Georgias, the Alabamas, and Georgia has just gotten back to this point, but the Alabamas, the LSUs to where – and even the Floridas, which we'll see it in the documentary, you see it in the trailer for the documentary about the Florida Gators to where it's championship or bust around those parts and anything less is a failure. And I think that Clemson has approached that status under Dabo Sweeney. And that's something I never thought they would do. And I feel like the biggest thing that he's done, he went out again and got SEC-like in how he recruited the defensive line, building that depth on the defensive lines, getting nasty up front on the offensive line, not to mention the slew of great skill players that he's had there as well. And then no doubt about it. 
the transcendent quarterbacks that he's had, especially when you talk about Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence helped get him over that hump as well. But I just think that everything that he's been able to do there, building this program into what it is, it's been remarkable to say the least. Uh, because for so long you watched this league and you thought if anybody was going to be uh, the, the the standard bearer in the league, it was going to be Florida State as far as a national perspective. They won the title in 2013. They dominated the 90s, the early 2010s. They were still good. And Clemson, you always thought that at best would maybe luck up and get a win against a Florida State in some years and win the ACC championship in the regular season. But now, as I've said, and we've talked about, Dabo has eight ACC championships, two national championships under his belt. They are one of the premier programs in all of America, uh, and and this is just one of the great, great programs across this country, man, and you can't say enough about the job that that staff has done. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's why it's why you expect Clemson at least to get to the conference championship game, and you probably expect them to win it every single season. Every time there's an opportunity to possibly pick a different team, I think pundits are going to do that. This year, it's Florida State. It is not inconceivable to think that Florida State finally has enough talent to the point where maybe they can bring Clemson down. But we've had this conversation before. We had it a couple of weeks ago. Did Florida State get so good and this good a year too late? Mm -hmm. If they were this good last year, maybe that's the year that they're able to win the ACC championship. But now Clemson says, look, that was too close for comfort. we got to go fix this. So now they have Cade Klubnick, DJU, he's out. Didn't work for him. Maybe you blame DJ. Maybe Go you blame get Garrett Riley. Whatever. You, you got a different quarterback now, and you have a new offensive coordinator. It's like, all right, enough of this playing around stuff. Let's go get one of the best play callers in all of college football, and let's pony up to go get him. Let's pay that man his money. And then you expect the defense to pick up where it left off last year. And this is a team that did not lose until November when they get to Notre Dame on the road. You lose 35 to 14. You lose 31 to 30, the second to last game of your year before the bowl game. And then you lose to South Carolina 31 to 30. Don't want to lose against the rival in the Gamecocks. I totally get it. But, man, this is all while DJU's not throwing for anything other than, like, 230 a game. Not even. If DJU threw for 230 yards, that was on the high end of how much on how much he could throw for. They were 66th in the country in passing offense last year, Wes, and they're still doing enough comfortably to win the ACC championship. Maybe it might be a trendy thing to go click on Florida State when you're doing your ACC polls as that being the best team in the conference. But Clemson has reigned supreme this entire decade, and I expect them to bounce back once again. Bounce back after a three-loss year, right? Like, I expect them to get even better. And even if Kate's not Trevor Lawrence, because that's the ultimate question. Even if Klubnik's not Trevor Lawrence, even if Klubnik's not Deshaun Watson, I expect him to be better than what DJU was last year. And that may be all you need in order to get back to the college football playoff. Yeah, and so when you look at it, man, and you talk about Dabo, in your opinion, do you think that he is the GOAT ACC coach? Man, that's it, it's such a loaded, it's such a big-time question, but I don't know who would be better right now. Bobby Bowden is the one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many championships that he has within the ACC. He got two. Bowden is the guy that comes to mind, and then who else would be a part of the running here? Yeah, that's, that's the guy I look at as well. When you look at Coach... Bowden and what he did at FSU and he got two national titles for the state dominated the 90s early 
early 2000s as well. Because um, Frank Beamer is one that you'd have to throw out there. Like, you'd have to give him a mention just for conversation. Right. But Beamer And he is came not. to the league kind of late. Like, yeah. he didn't get into the ACC. Like, Tech was still good, but they weren't. Right their most dominant seasons in the ACC. Well, and even when Miami comes aboard and joins the ACC, they had had their success in the Big East before you actually get to the ACC. And so you're not really, you're not talking Jimmy Johnson. (laughs) Like with all their championships, you can go to that 01 roster in Miami. But again, I mean, I don't know if anybody would say like Larry Coker or Butch Davis (laughs) are the best ACC coaches of all time. It's got to be Dabo or Bobby Bowden. And then I'll tell you this, the thing that Dabo has over everyone is who has the biggest turnaround? Who who has a bigger turnaround at their respective university compared to Dabo? Well, yeah, Bobby Bowden, when he did come to Florida State, they were a perennial doormat. They really were. Uh, yeah, they were, they were really bad. Was it so bad to the point that the verb was Florida Stating compared to Clemsoning? It wasn't, but Florida State wasn't even a thought when Bobby Bowden took that job over. Um, You know, but when you you compare the accomplishments, because he's the second winner in his coach in college football history, he's had 14 consecutive 10-win seasons from 87 to 2000. Dabo has 12 at this point, consensus national titles in 93 and 99. And the 99 squad was the first in college football history to go wire to wire uh, as the number one team all season long. But it's a great debate. If I want to be definitive, I'm going to go. You're going to go Dabo? Oh, it's so tough, man. I love Cozy Bowden so much. I'm going to go Dabo. Dabo. So, yeah, if you look at Bobby Bowden, he takes over for Daryl Mudra in 1974. Or excuse me, in 1976 he takes over that job, but they're going three and eight, one and ten, zero oh and eleven. There is an awful three-year stretch. But Larry Jones had them going to a couple of bowl games before he goes defeated, zero oh and eleven, that 1973 season. And Bill Peterson has them going bowling in a couple of games before that. I just look Florida State for sure, right? Like it's a big turnaround. I didn't give it enough love. Just when we talk about Clemson being a team that was all over the place and then Dabo comes in and now they're a perennial powerhouse. Like, even now, it's a down year, man. Mm-hmm. And they lost three games. I'm probably going to go Dabo. Okay. Alright, well, that's great debate, man. And both of them are fantastic coaches. And you would think that Dabo's got a lot of years left at Clemson to be able to surpass uh, even what he's done so far. Last, last thing I want to mention about Bowden. So, if you look at when he started to win double-digit games every single season, he had his first double-digit winning season well, he had a couple in the late 70s, but then he had them consecutively. In 1987, he goes 11-1, and one, and then he has a double-digit winning season every year up until 2000, and then you have a 10-3 and three season before eventually you get Jimbo Fisher in there. But there is, what, an 87-2000 to 2000 run where he doesn't do anything other than double-digit victories, and then you look at what Dabo Sweeney's been able to do, he's closing in on that. He's closing in on that kind of run. So we're getting into Bowden territory as far as what Dabo was able to accomplish when Florida State was at the peak of their powers. All right. Well, when we come back, that was our first edition of Team Week for the Clemson Tigers to start their week off. But when we return, have you changed your expectations for Bryce Young after the first two preseason games? We'll talk about that and more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson 
Walker on a overreaction Monday, appropriate reaction Monday. You can tell us on the text line, 704-570-9610. Real quickly, did want to talk to you about the Joe Moss Foundation. Joe Moss Foundation is presenting the fifth annual Celebrity Golf Tournament tomorrow, August 22nd, if you want a distinct date. It's happening at the Rolling Hills Country Club in Monroe. This charity event focuses on Mecklenburg and Union County Animal Rescue, Children in Need, and our hometown heroes. Come play with a host of active and retired athletes and celebrities. Tee off at 11 a.m. Banquet dinner at 5.30 p.m. For more details and registration, visit JoeMossFoundation.com or call text 828-403-5957. That's 828-403-5957. Wes, I believe the Joe Moss Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament remote show we did last year was our second show we ever did together. It was one of the early shows that it was. I believe it was the second one. What I remember from that, there was a couple things. The helicopter ball drop that took us off the air. I mean, just, we were interviewing, I think it was Ellis Williams, who's no longer covering the Panthers, covering the Vikings. Good luck, Ellis. But I think we had an interview with him, and there was a helicopter surrounding us at that point. Couldn't hear anything he was saying. Nothing. And so that was really hard to talk over. The other thing is, what's funny is looking back at our show together in hindsight, I was talking about how I thought San Francisco, I said something where I didn't believe in San Francisco. And you didn't come at me then, but now that we're more comfortable working with each other, I have to imagine you would have given me all the smoke if I had just given that take like six months later. <laughs> because we, I, I said something about how it said more about the team they played than San Francisco. And how good they were. And you were like, "Put, uh, I don't know. I mean, San Francisco's good. And then we moved on. But knowing who you are now, yeah. I have to imagine you were cursing me out under your breath. Oh, Walker, you know, bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> don't you say that about San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I knew you were going to try to spin it in a positive <laughs> direction, even though we all know what we saw in that football game. Well, it was like Monday night game, maybe even like a prime time that San Francisco's on. All I know is it, I was not giving them 100% credit. I was talking about the opponent they had not being very good. And then you're like, oh, okay. I think differently, but it's all good. Now we're going at it if I give you that take. Now is it, please. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to stop you. And if you try to keep going, you know what I I like to do? I'll stop you in your checks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's go back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's go back. That happened. And that's also why I believe we have the C.J. Spiller highlight in there. Because there's a lot of highlights to go to with Clemson. But, Fiddy, were you thinking about Wes when you cut up the C.J. Spiller South Carolina touchdown highlight? Because of how much he loves the... Reggie Bush of the South. Southern Reggie Bush. I actually wasn't. I just, you know, I thought that'd be a great uh, memory lane highlight for Clemson fans because he was a part of those Clemsoning teams where he was a great player on teams that would crap the bed in big games. And he did it against South Carolina next week's team week as we get ready for them to lose week one against Carolina. So that I remember that <laughs> running back duo really well. I think a lot of people do with James Davis and CJ Speller. It was guys. like thunder and yeah. lightning. Yep. It was like D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, light almost. Maybe even not even so light. Maybe you just felt like they were actual smash and dash, thunder and lightning. A good running back duo they had back then. 704-570-9610. If you want to give your thoughts and comments on the Carolina Panthers, Wes, I have a question for you. Okay. Because rookie season for Bryce Young, you were throwing out there that 4,000 yards is a possibility. I think realistically, we kind of settled at a 3,800-yard territory, something like that. Maybe I won't speak for you anymore. I'm going to ask you this question, then you can clear me on everything that I'm talking about. Have your expectations changed at all, whether it be because of Bryce or the offensive line, based off what you've seen these first two preseason games? Uh, 
not at this point, even though I am getting a little bit worried, uh, just a little bit, because I'm not sure if this offensive line comes out and continues to block the way that they have to start this preseason, I feel like they're going to really try to go with a conservative approach as far as making sure the run game is first and foremost for them uh, before they decide to let Bryce start to let it fly. And then I worry about if they do get into modes where they do have to rely on Bryce a little bit too much, can this line hold up? It's starting to become a concern. Not a full-blown concern for me just yet, but uh, it's getting there. And I feel like I have to see it in the regular season first and foremost. But I'm going to stick with the prediction for now. I'm not going to bail uh, at the moment. But I'm starting to put my life jacket on and ask the people <laughs> on the ship, do they have the boats ready in case something happens? You're ready for Frank Reich or maybe even Thomas Brown to be aboard a ship to save you with the play calling? <laughs> because we got some different play calling. Uh-huh. We got Frank Reich really in the first half. And then we got to hear from Reich during media availability say that he thought Thomas Brown did a really nice job in the second half. Saw that a little bit on Twitter, how much people liked the way Thomas Brown called a second-half game against the Giants compared to what Frank Reich did. What I noticed right off the bat, Wes, so first offensive play of the game, Frank Reich puts Jonathan Mingo in motion, and there's a play-action rollout. Not going to be so vanilla in the Mm -hmm. first play. Eye candy, play-action, having Bryce Young roll out. They only pick up a yard because Bryce doesn't want to throw it, eats it, only gets one yard on a first-and-five opportunity after a neutral zone infraction. So that was it, but right then and there, it was okay. They're not going to just do halfback dive, you know, curls. It's not going to be anything crazy (laughs) simple. They're giving you a little bit of movement to counteract what Wink Martindale might bring. What did you make of the play calling by Frank Reich? and the play calling by Thomas Brown in the second half. Well, like you said, I thought he did try to give you a little bit of spice. I'm talking about Coach Reich to see uh, what he can do. I felt like the offensive line might have limited everything that he wanted to do because uh, they did have a little bit of success. And as you said, uh, they were aided by a few penalties that were able to help them get some points. And then you see uh, Thomas Brown take over the play calling in the second half and they score 17 points uh, on the football game in a game that looked a little bit bleak early on. You weren't sure how this thing was going to go. And then they come out third quarter, they go field goal and then score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Matt Corral looked uh, pretty good. I thought he made a nice case for himself in that game as far as uh, being a guy that they can look to in the future as maybe perhaps a backup or maybe even trade bait uh, to be able to send him elsewhere. But uh, he he looked good. Guys were out there making plays. Shai Smith uh, was making plays. I thought that they were uh, aggressive, and I just felt like that in the second half, they, they looked pretty good as evidenced by the amount of points that they scored, but hard to really put that all into a pot and really be able to process it when, of course, it wasn't up against the G-man's top right. uh, guys on defense, so that's a little bit of a caveat for you, if you will, but Results are still results, and they got 17 points in the second half when Thomas Brown was calling Some, the play. Yeah, how much stock are you putting into that? It, it does I that mean, mean, he had his second unit out there going against their second unit, so yeah. I guess, you know. So you're putting a lot of stock compared to Frank Wright. Like, is it – here's what I'm trying to get out of I'm just of giving him his credit for calling yeah. a good half, and, gotcha. it, and it looked good. It looked it looked how no, it should look. No, it did. Matt Corral, 9 of 13, way better performance than he had in preseason game number one. Thought he looked more comfortable. Thought there was a big difference in comfort from Matt Corral compared to the Jets game, which makes sense. First game back after an injury that keeps you out for a real long time, not exactly being okay in your first game. Complete sense. 
I'm glad that Matt Corral looked better. How about Luke Walton's touchdown throw? <laughs> Did you see the NFL highlight? So Jake Luton uh-huh. goes two of seven. Not exactly the greatest uh, accuracy, but did have a real money throw in the end zone, getting a touchdown pass, the lone touchdown pass of the day. And then as soon as Luton throws that, what the NFL Network does is tweets out, hey, look at what Luke Walton was able to do in the clown show. (laughs) And so, yeah, they went uh, they went Luke Walton on us. But Jake Luton, despite having a nice play, even if he can't get recognition, I'll give him some recognition here. Nice touchdown throw covered. But nice little, you know, it's kind of dropped out of a plane right into the breadbasket. Liked what Jake Luton was able to do and Corral. So overall, Wes, to be honest with you, quarterback room should be pretty proud of what they did against the Giants for yeah. the most part. Yeah, I think so, too. And so uh, just 404 text that brings a, an interesting point uh, to the table said, unfortunately, if this Panthers team started like this with Steve Wilkes, he would be highly criticized for not being an offensive-type coach. And not to take us too far off the rails, but I just thought that that was an interesting point to 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 bring up, is that not just Coach Wilkes, but if the Panthers would have went out and gotten a defensive-minded coach or anything like that, would they be criticized even more for what they're doing? But I know with Carolina's fan base, Frank Reich is starting to uh, take some heat already. Yeah, I was about to say, people are pretty angry with Frank Reich. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking a lot of heat right now. Mm-hmm. And even if you had a defensive-minded head coach, all that criticism would probably just be pointed more towards whoever was calling the plays, right? I mean, maybe 404 is not wrong. You probably have some criticism. This is why we should have gone with an offensive-minded coach. Mm-hmm. This is the new day and age. Pass happy def- or pass happy league. See great offenses make the Super Bowl last year. You, I can hear that take already being formulated. But Frank Reich is taking it on the chin right now. Yeah. Not a lot of people exactly thrilled with what he's doing, nor are people thrilled with what the offense as a whole is doing. For me, my expectations for Bryce Young, the only thing that might have changed even a little bit is just the sheer numbers. It has nothing to do with how good he is. Because you can have a prolific passing season, and still be a worse quarterback than someone that didn't have as many yards, but performed well within the game plan, did what they were asked to do. Bryce Young, to me, I think in these first two preseason games, looks pretty good given the circumstances. No, he's not going Peyton Manning. No, he's not throwing for 400 yards like Cam Newton his first two regular season games. I totally get that. But this is going to be the same question. I, I don't know what he did completely wrong. I actually like that little side throw that he had to Mingo, and Mingo just doesn't extend, stops his route, miscommunication. Bryce Young talked about that. Thought it was a good throw. Thought it was good movement in the pocket. Thought the feel was good, Wes. Thought the feel was good again when Ikiakuanu gets beat by Thibodeau, but waits for Hayden Hurst right at the right moment, unloads that thing, and if there wasn't a hold call on Savala, then they're like a fourth and three scenario, and maybe you are aggressive. Let's go out, let's score a touchdown rather than settle for a field goal. Thought those were two nice throws from Bryce Young, and his pocket presence, it feels pretty good right now to me. I like what Bryce Young is doing out there. So if the expectations change, it's all about maybe not 3,800 yards to bring it down to 36. Like I don't know if I'm willing to change much off of, what, six series now? And we're talking about maybe a half of football that Bryce Young has played. 
But that would be the only thing that does change as far as how good I feel about him. That hasn't changed at all. I like what we got from Bryce. Yeah, I do too. And, and I would subscribe to that as well because uh, also another thing too was the escapability he showed on a sack. or well, not the sack, but where he fell oh, down. Could have been play. sacked. That's right. I've seen him do that at Alabama a hundred times. Now, not necessarily losing his balance after he got out of the sack, but I think they gave you a glimpse of his uh, pocket awareness because this is a play you're going to see a lot from him again. Hopefully you don't see uh, him slipping on the ground and almost falling and causing a sack on his own, but just the way he was able to get out of there. This is a guy that's a, a quarterback, and we know we talk about his perception all of the time, and this is the guy that has that clock in his head. He's not going to sit back there and hold the football way too long. Of course, it may happen uh, every now and again, but I think Bryce Young is a type of processor that he knows, all right, uh, we're getting to that two-and-a-half to three-second mark. Let me get out of here uh, and make a play for my football team. So I think that that was one positive that you could take uh, as well. All right, let's go back-to-back sound bites before we end the segment. Let's go to Bryce Young. We've talked about some of these mental errors. There was no sleep Ned, which is hilarious given the text. No sleep Ned says they're missing assignments with mental errors out of position, missing line calls, just the basics. That is going on. But Bryce Young told you that they're trying to create chemistry with the offensive players, even if it means limited reps. Yeah, um, like you said, you know, it's a limited, you know, limited opportunities, but, you know, you got to make those count. And, you know, I think just listening to coaches stressing urgency of, of every situation, every down, um, you know, again, you get a limited amount of reps in the preseason, but you have to make them count. And, you know, you because of that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis, a lot of strain to, you know, to, to be the best we can. And, you know, we understand, again, um, we, we're trying to be perfect and, you know, you're never going to get there. And we understand at the end of the day, like you said, it's been, you know, a limited amount of passes, but we try to treat those passes like, you know, it's the last one we're going to get, um, you know, especially in the preseason since it's so limited. So just kind of having that sense of urgency is something that we're, we're really trying to stress. That's what I don't worry about too much. This is supposed to happen even. All the mental errors. And Iki Kwanu, it's weird to pass off protection to somebody that's not there. He was passing it off to Ghost Man. No one's there, all right? You also have Bryce Young, Jonathan Mingo trying to develop chemistry in limited snaps. That I'm not really worried about. It's the Icky getting beat by Kayvon. It's right guard spot. They're getting beat one-on-one, especially in that first game. I thought Zavala was fine enough in this game. The holding call's bad. He wasn't amazing. You said average to maybe even below average, but some of that stuff I'm okay with because we're talking about three rookies that are playing big roles. Quarterback, doesn't get any bigger than that protecting up front at the guard spot and wide receiver. And it's not crazy to think Mingo is going to be the most productive receiver. I don't, I don't think he will this year, but it's not crazy to think that your second round pick that was seven spots away from being a first round pick. It's not crazy to think they like him enough to where he'll have more receiving yards than a Thielen or even a DJ Chark because of his injury. Yeah. And we've seen some hiccups, like you said, the miscommunication that happened on the one play and those are things that he's going to continue to learn. But as far as some of the positives that we did, see for Mingo he definitely looks like he's going to be a yak guy the way he caught the ball bounced off contact and continue to run with the ball and the more he learns as the season goes on I think his role uh, will get bigger and bigger all right so let's skip the soundbite I apologize I teased you I didn't please it we gave you one we can give you some more sound a little bit later on in the show but it's just because I want to create more time for Fiddy we got a second flash of the day to get to here what you got for us Fiddy Fiddy The preseason 
AP All-American list is out, and only one ACC player highlights the first team, that being Florida State's star edge rusher Jared Verse. But there's a lot of ACC guys on the second team, including quarterback Drake May. All-purpose, no surprise, Will Shipley. Then you go to the defense. The linebackers are all from the ACC. Jeremiah Jeremiah Trotter Jr., Barrett Carter, Cedric Gray is on that list. Um, on the defensive line, Tyler, Day, Tyler Davis from Clemson is on that list. So not a lot of ACC guys, Wes, on the first team, but you find them on the second team, which is further proof that there is a lot of talent in the ACC for this year. Oh, no question about it. I love seeing Cedric Gray on there at that linebacker slot as well. Kudos to him, but uh, no doubt about it, man. There's some big-time defensive players in the league. Drake May on that on that second team as well, but Jerry Burst well-deserved uh, there, man. So, yeah, ACC getting some representation on the AP team. We'll go to an all-encompassing segment, the Live Wire to start the 2 o'clock hour, 53-man roster projections. Where are we on that at 220 but coming up next let's take a look around the nfc south b john robinson made his preseason debut how much do we like what he was able to do in the preseason it's coming up next wesson walker sports radio 92.7 wfnc get past the people get past the hitman John Robinson got on the good foot this weekend. That's my question to you. B. John Robinson, first overall running back taken. Yeah, he looks a little scared. It's fight night. Okay, that <laughs> run he had was... The, so, first carry of his NFL career. <laughs> yeah, only preseason, but first carry. Looked like he belonged out there. Needless to say anything else. Now, look, man, maybe you look at this thing half empty and you look at his stat line in totality and you're thinking, wait a minute. B. John Robinson, four carries for 20 yards. It's not amazing, but nah, man, we could see the first carry. I think it went for 12 yards, broke a couple tackles to get there. So he looked good as we take a trip around the NFC South. He made his preseason debut. I want to play some sound from the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny maybe tomorrow, which is hilarious that she has her dog in the show. It's great. I love it. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what she had to say in the NFC South preview. But she's high on the Falcons offense even if she's not very high on Desmond Ritter being the quarterback with this offense, it's interesting to see how many people respect what Arthur Smith can do as a play caller, which I do as well. I think you see what he was able to do in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill, who I always thought was a little underrated, to be honest. People don't like Tannehill, but I think he's a like a quarterback you can win with if you have everything going right around you. Don't know how much he's making you better. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. I think Arthur Smith brought the best out of him with a power running game like Derrick Henry. Now you go give him B. John Robinson. Now you have Kyle Pitts, who I still think the world of, even if you had Marcus Mariota playing QB last year, I'm hoping Desmond Ritter, at least for Kyle Pitts' sake, not for Carolina's sake, but he can be better. You get the idea. People like this offense. And they did make some changes defensively where you expect them to be better, but they were pretty damn bad last year. What do you expect to see from the Falcons this year as it even it pertains to B. John Robinson being a focal point? Well, I think this is a team that definitely, if Ritter can come through and do anything close to playing rock-solid football, then I think this is going to be a team that's going to be a little bit better than what we think. We know uh, the offensive line, they've got some guys there. 
But now you look at B. John Robinson with Tyler Algier and, and Pitts, and then you saw Drake London made a nice catch uh, also this weekend in preseason action. They've really gone out and tried to shore up their pass rush. We'll see how that ends up for him. Jesse Bates adding him on the back end. Uh, but I think you have to be at least somewhat excited uh, as an Atlanta fan with some of the skill talent that you have. B. John Robinson, yes, this is a perfect example of yes, it is the preseason, but just the way that run looked. That looked a little different to me when I saw it. I yeah, mean, it looks like it's done. Yeah. The cut and, you know, just everything in there. It looked like this is a guy that's going to be an explosive play waiting to happen. And so uh, you just can't wait to get to the regular season and see how they're going to implement all that. And it's going to make for some great games inside of this division. All right, so we go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Kyle Trask, he starts in the win over the Jets. The stat line looks pretty good. How about 20 of 28 passing? 218 yards for Kyle Trask against that same Jets defense that the Carolina Panthers just played. I, I don't know who all played for him. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody you know took a seat, but Kyle Trask looked pretty good, even had a touchdown pass. He did get sacked a couple of times. John Walford, your boy, former Wake Forest player. He was cooking, uh, and he got hurt. Yep, 4-4, four four, 57 yards for John Walford. Baker Mayfield seems to have this starting job locked up, right? Mm-hmm. And if so, even with Trask playing as well as he did, are we going to have quarterback controversy in Tampa Bay all season long? Or do you think Baker Mayfield is going to be the guy that they want to start until Mayfield completely blows up like he did here in Carolina? I think that's probably the more plausible scenario. I do think it is a little bit of a competition, especially with the stat line that Kyle Trask was able to put up that just did not play uh, many of their top dogs, according to the box score. When you check that out, I uh, don't see a ton of their major names so in that's gonna there. Help. That's going to help. No doubt. But uh, Kyle Trask with what he was able to do, uh, I'm not sure how much of a competition, but I still think they're going to think about it a little bit. But if I had to bet, I would say it's going to be Baker Mayfield with Kyle Trask on a, a short leash as far as how far they will go with Baker. If Baker's not getting it done, I think they give Kyle Trask a chance. Uh, but we'll see. All right. So the Saints, as we continue to take our tour of the NFC South, the Saints, they win 22 to 17 over the Chargers. Jameis Winston, the lead passer, 169 yards, 13 of 21 passing attempts. And then Jake Hayner came in through 118 yards himself. So you actually had good quarterback play from both Tampa Bay and New Orleans. But no Derek Carr in this game. No Alvin Kamara in this game. No Michael Thomas. You did get A.T. Perry. Man, Demon Deacons, they're just all over the place in the NFC South this year. <laughs> but you also didn't have Chris Olave, so the starters not seeing many snaps, not seeing any snaps for New Orleans, but still get the win. They're 2-0. and We saw that one drive from Derek Carr where he was cooking, no doubt about it. This is why I think people, if you were to force, if you were to get the family feud survey, mm. I think a bigger number would be attached to the New Orleans Saints as far as how many people have uh, the Saints winning this division, they're still probably the favorite because they have a Derek Carr, because they have been good defensively the last few years. Doesn't really matter who is rolling in. There, there's still some roster turnover there. I imagine you feel the same way. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think the Saints right now still look to be the team to beat until proven otherwise, especially with uh, Carolina looking a little bit shaky in the preseason. But we're going to see week two uh, what time it is as far as between these two football teams in the early season, who is ahead of whom. Uh, at this moment, but doesn't look like the Saints play many of their key guys uh, in this football game. Yeah, and I'm not sure how many key guys the Chargers played either. 
So that's going to help with New Orleans. But Jameis Winston, content. I mean, he's he's going to be a great preseason QB, right? Like he's going to take chances. Yeah. You're you're going to see a lot of passing totals that are real low. If you throw for 90 yards in the preseason, that's a decent amount considering sample size. And here he is throwing for 169. Jameis is going to be good backup and a good preseason. For sure, he's one here, of the yeah. better backups in the league. For sure, you're talking about a former number one overall pick. So yeah. Um, last question for me on this segment. We talked about Bryce Young with the expectations, maybe changing with him just as far as totals. It still might be a little far-fetched to say that after just six series and two preseason games. Is there any reason to change your preseason expectations based off of everything you've seen within the NFC South? Uh, again, that's caused a pause, but I'm not going to jump off the ship just yet. I'm not going to let the preseason... Well, what ship are you totally- on? What do you mean? <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm going to stick to my predictions that I made when we talked about this team having success and competing for yeah. uh, an NFC South title. I'm going to stick to that. But, you know, it's making me a little bit leery with, with what I'm seeing a little bit. Uh, this is this is a pretty, pretty big week for Carolina, yeah. just as far as how good we're going to be feeling about them. Because you have the Giants defensive line, Jets defensive line, could be top five units at the end of the year. They're that talented. Then you go to Detroit where their strength is their offense. Their rushing defense was the worst in the NFL last year. They were trash, okay? Like, I hate to say, I even hate saying that word, but just the totals, the numbers that they allowed other teams to put up on them, they were real bad. So, even pass rush, Aiden Hutchinson's the guy that you're looking at, no doubt about it, and he's really good. He's a number one overall pick for a reason, but if Icky can bounce back again, that's like the perfect, that's the perfect guy to go up against, right? Number one overall pick, Really talented. And Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden probably are, you know, in the same tier. I, I don't, you know, I, this is the second time I've flirted with this debate, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And then going up against the Jets defensive line where you have Quinn and Williams, even Will McDonald, who is a first round pick, looks good. I just think this is a guy that if Icky plays well against, it will be there will be some real merit earned. And it's almost a get right defensive line because if the rest of the line performs well against those pass rushers and those run stoppers, and then you go into the regular season on a positive, it is kind of what the doctor ordered for everybody that you're so worried about up front. Yeah, no question about it, especially for an Icky Aquano. This is definitely the game that you want to come back. If you get a chance to get 10 to 15 reps against an Aiden Hutchinson, a guy that's looking to break out in his second season himself. And this is a guy that, Plays hard all the time. He doesn't care if it's preseason, postseason, in season, Lowry seasoning. <laughs> this guy's going to come oh, out. <laughs> Wes, that was great. This guy's going to come out and play really, really hard, and he's going to give you everything he's got. So that's going to be a matchup I'm looking forward to if they are able to clash. Not sure how many guys will be playing in this game, but if we do, that's going to be a matchup that I'll be watching, no question. Lowry seasoning, I use on everything. And yet I still feel, especially when you get the big old tubs, I never run out of it. Yeah. But it's not because I don't use it. It's just one, if you get the big old tub of Lowry seasoning, then it's just going to last you for a lifetime. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things where you keep eating tortilla chips just because they're, you think you're going to get to the bottom of the bowl, but all of a sudden 15 more appear. I feel like at least a quarter of the bottle reappears after I think I'm done with it. <laughs> Every single time. Yeah, and then when they made the one with the pepper in it, that was uh, definitely a game changer to the Lowry's with Pepper in. Yeah, thanks for the house cleaning, by the way, bagel guy. Aiden was number two overall. I forgot they went with the Georgia Ed Rusher, Ed Walker, Trayvon Walker. Yeah, Trayvon uh, Walker. Yep, uh, number one overall. Aiden was number two, and that was highly debated. Like people were wondering why you would decide to go with Walker over Aiden. And so you're right. Thank you, bagel guy. We appreciate it. Let's move on. Haven't heard a lot from Fitty besides the flashes. 
I say we change that coming up to start the 2 o'clock hour. It's the Live Wire on Wes and Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.